Are you an overwhelmed SaaS founder ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel podcast where coders are faster than a speedy bullet, and founders can leap tall buildings in a single bound. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I help B2B SaaS founders like you profitably scale from seven to eight to nine figures, creating premium valuation, impacting the community, and transforming from an engaged operator to an empowered strategic owner. I've spent the, the last couple of weeks and then this week doing one of my favorite things on earth. And no, it's not scuba diving but that would be a really close second. It's actually spending time with founders who are doing just amazing things and excelling in spite of economic uncertainty and creating lives of meaning and impact. The first last week was at SAS Open in New York City. We had an exceptional time there, learned, built relationships, created community. I spoke on the top three growth opportunities I see right now for SAS founders. I followed Neil Patel and Chris Sue, and you know, a little bit intimidating there. I mean, these guys are legends, but incredibly gracious and extremely brilliant and made lots of new friends as an MC for the sales and marketing stage as well. I got to interview Anthony Canada, who grew Gainsight from pre-revenue to 200 million plus ARR as the top marketer and great, great insights. He's running a company now called Audience Plus that turns every company into a media company fascinating concept. We'll see if we can get Anthony, Neil, Chris, maybe some of those other speakers on a future show as well. So if you were there, give me a shout out uh, there at SAS Open. My company hosted a We Love Bootstrappers dinner and inside an old bank vault. It's a really, really cool venue. Just an epic experience and big shout out to some of the fantastic founders that I'm at there. Marilee, Jim, Jason, CK, Rajiv, Tommy, Ignis, Amit, Jason, Michael, Arjun, Nina, Chris, Anthony, Kyle, and I'm probably missing some. So I almost didn't do a list because I know I'll leave somebody out, but it's just so fantastic to see what you're building and hear your stories and and where you're going. We'll get all of them on the future shows. But absolutely an honor to to hang out with y'all, and I'm incredibly inspired by what you're building. There were over $33 billion in combined ARR represented there. Wow. How about that? That's with a B, $33 billion with a B. Hats off to Nathan Lodka at Founder Path, along with Danielle and Mandy for absolutely crushing it and putting the event together. If you've ever done an event like this, I mean, imagine like, I don't know, spinning hula hoops around your waist, your neck, two on each arm, two on each leg, while walking on a tightrope across a pool full of sharks. I don't know, best image I could come up with, but they did absolutely amazing. One of the best events that I've been to, and I do 20 or more a year. And so, you know, if you were there, you know, give a shout out to, to, to me, to them, uh, let them know how much you enjoyed it. And either way, plan to be at the next one in Austin next March. So if meetups sound good, come do that online with us this Thursday, Navigating Success Together, just a little SaaS founder meetup, mini mastermind we do about twice a month. There's no cost. There's no pitch. And I get details at navigatingsuccesstogether.com. On Thursday's episode, I'll tell you a little bit more about where I'm at. This week, I'm actually in Tokyo doing some of the the same things with uh, some amazing business leaders. So I'll let you know a little bit more about that. And two really big lessons I learned from being in the, the big city and hanging out with business leaders and founders. We have a Facebook group of SaaS founders, and what I'll do is I'll just go live in there and I'll give you my five takeaways from SaaS Open and the last couple of weeks and just tapping into genius, just brain-melting insights over the last couple of weeks. And, and you know, more about that, I'll just go live, do it in the group so we're not spending a lot of time here. But next time on Thursday, I'll give you the, the top two things. This week's episode is sponsored by a brand new book called Software Partner Streams. I didn't write it. It is by Jason Tanner and Luke Homan. It's all about pricing your SaaS. And when I first heard about a pricing book, I kind of groaned. I mean, yes, very useful, necessary, sure. 
you know, kind of like eating vegetables. I'll do it, but there are a hundred other things that I'd rather have. And then I saw this book and wow, it's nothing like what I imagined. It's visual, it's interactive. It's very well thought out and beautifully designed. There are no walls of text to put you to sleep. It isn't a PhD dissertation or authors trying to prove their intellect. Uh, straight up, this is the best book about pricing your SaaS that I've ever seen. And so if you priced it, like your industry or copy a competitor's pricing page and try to give a little more for a little less, then you really need this book. It releases April 4th and it's uh, next Tuesday. And I will have Luke on the show on release day, which is way cool. So you can learn more about that at appliedframeworks.com. And uh, I'll just link it in the show notes. Go to sasfuel.com. But the book is called Software Profit Streams. You can find it wherever books are sold. That's already up on Amazon. It's up on their website. But definitely go check that out as it is a great, great pricing book for your software. And one of the greatest ways to increase revenue right now, sounds a little counterintuitive, is to raise your pricing, but to do it in a really, really smart way and be able to, to have that where it's, you're really backing up, you're supporting your price because of the value you're delivering. Our expert guest last week was Travis Chappell, founder, CEO, and the mastermind behind Guestio, a software marketplace that connects you with top-notch talent for your content needs. Travis shared his insights on building a successful startup, finding right talent, and the secrets behind his own podcast, Figuring It Out. Our founder a week ago was Osa Osarenko. He is the co-founder and chief product officer of ClearCogs, a SaaS that uses a combination of modern data management, machine learning, and statistical tools in their AI predictive forecasting system to help restaurants lower their food waste. It's a great solution that is also improving the world. So if you missed either one of those, go back and give them a listen. My guest this week is the amazing Brett Barlow, CEO of Every. Every is a fintech company that's disrupting the two-week pay cycle by making it easier to pay workers instantly. Check that out. Instant payments for your team. Under his leadership, Every raised $10 million in a Series A financing in April of 2020, and they've tripled revenue in the last 12 months. Brett has over 25 years of experience leading SaaS businesses and consumer brands like Pluralsight, HP, Skull Candy, which is really cool. So welcome, Brett Barlow. Hey, Brett. Welcome to SaaS Fuel. Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you, Jeff. Well, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background and uh, how, you, how it all led up to Every. Boy, I could start at the beginning where I was born, but maybe I'll fast forward <laughs> years past that. I started my career thinking I wanted to be in uh, kind of brand marketing, sports marketing, and I live in Salt Lake City. And an ad agency here had landed the 2002 Winter Olympic Games. So I nice. immediately submitted, a, submitted my resume and I said, I'm going to work on the Olympics. That'll be a great start. And they put me on the Medicare Marketing to Seniors account as a 24-year-old. Kind and of the same I, thing, right? Almost the same thing. <laughs> just missed it by that much. So I missed out on that, but it got me actually some really good insights into how that would inform my career where back then we were doing like direct mail pieces to reach people, catalogs. It was pretty analog. It was mid nineties, but it gave me my first path of kind of a growth mindset of having messaging to people be quantifiable and where you could kind of track results, my first introduction to ROI and, and those things back in that day. And that just kind of grew with me because not long after that, digital just became, you know, the thing. So digital marketing became very natural and, you know, demand generation for sales orgs, managing sales teams. But really the lessons that I learned at the beginning are you have to be accountable. You, you know, when you spend dollars, you should know what's coming out from those dollars is it a these days it's ltv to cac or you know return on ad spend things like that but it's not always spending more money or adding more people it could be just really understanding your customer better and so you know where right. you're spending your money so that gave me a good foundation to where i moved from and, and then i realized in that moment i was working for one of the largest advertising agencies in the world and 
just felt like a number and ended up joining a startup. And then it's been startup, 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 startup after that. And I just really love building. I love, I love teams, collaboration. I like solving tough problems, the tears that come with it, the, the, the cheers that come from it. It's, you know, the, the route from where you are to up and to the right as I mean, I'm not original in saying this, it's never a straight line, right? It's circuitous. Right. It goes kind of all over the place. And that journey has just been incredibly fulfilling for me over the last year. So over the last 10 years, I've worked for consumer brands running their companies, took a company called Skull Candy headphone brand public in 2011. Then I went and went from a consumer brand to SaaS and I, done other SaaS in the past, but a company called Pluralsight, online learning, I call it Netflix for developers. So subscription-based, you know, if you want to learn a skill, Netflix for developers, really what it was. And we took that company public in 2018. So I've had some, you know, I've had some highs, I've had some lows, but where I've really decided that I like to be is in a building mode. And now as my current role as CEO of Every, I'm able to apply my thousands of mistakes, literally thousands, I'm sure. You probably ask the people that I've worked with, some learnings and, and positives that come from it to lead a business. And this is the first time that I've been in this role as CEO. I love that. And and I'm right there with you in those thousands of mistakes. Yeah. And uh, even okay. things like you today. You know, it's okay. If you're not failing, you're not trying. Somebody wise right. said, said once. So yeah, it's okay. I think that makes you grow. When people say on a, on a job description, schooling or whatever kind of standard things in 10 years of experience or five years of experience as a job requisition or right. requirement, what they're really trying to quantify is how many times have you learned from your own mistakes and hopefully you're not going to make them at our company. <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and that's important because you can have 10 years of real experience or you can have one year experience 10 times over. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it's what learning from those mistakes. It? Yeah. How is, how has the transition been from, you know, being part of an executive team to really being the number one? Should I get Shakespearean here? They were the best of times. <laughs> they were the worst of times. It's been awesome. I I love it. it. It's certainly different. It's a learning experience where I'm the point person for a board of directors. I'm leading the executive team. What I feel very fortunate in this in my situation is I'm surrounded by a really senior executive team that operates you know, independently, I'm don't have to be like micromanaged. It's not a, a young or inexperienced group. And I have a really supportive board of directors. Um, that's that helpful. been through it before. And, you know, I've, I've interacted with some boards where it's been maybe less friendly or maybe less understanding of, of what we're trying to accomplish. So I feel very fortunate in my first run as CEO that I don't have to be, you know, alone on that because being a CEO can I have learned it can be a very lonely spot you know sure. ultimately the buck does stop with me but I have a great partner um, one of the founders of the business named Ron Ross who is our president and we're able to bounce ideas off each other we've we've been through it together we worked at Skull Candy he ran he was uh ran finance and I ran the marketing group at Skull Candy so we've known each other for 15 years and having that's a lesson, right? Uh, hiring good people, being around not only experienced people, but good humans that in a way you can learn from are things that I've learned. So it's been challenging. The transition, it's absolutely been challenging. I can't say that I've knocked it out of the park, but I think that we're, I'm definitely learning. And uh, the perspective change of advocating or managing a department oversight for an entire business, it just exponentially increases. And you want to make sure that all employees are having a healthy, good experience, but that you're also keeping the company aligned on objectives. And sometimes that feels like hurting cats. Yes. Yes. I understand that for sure. 
Yeah. With your board, it's it's interesting you you say that. I mean, I've seen you know many different types of boards. Some of them very helpful. Some of them kind of neutral, and some of them adversarial. Yeah. Were you able to choose your board members, or was that something that uh, like Capital Partners brought on, or how did that work? So we've raised at this point a seed round and an A round. So in both of those rounds, what we were looking for were people that had operating experience in their past lives. We wanted to have active board membership because I, you know, we, we want to understand what's going on in the market. I need to be able to have people to lean to. Our board is a good mix of like, we trust you, but hey, maybe you should consider this because this is what we're seeing in the market. It's not a constant battle of them questioning or throwing darts, you know, at we're doing at what we're doing. So we have the luxury in our Series A and seed round of choosing our board members and our key investors. And the key for me is making sure that our metrics and our growth are healthy, where I continue that in our next phase of fundraising, where we maintain dilution at a moderate level for our employees because they're all shareholders. And I want to make sure that we have the same type of people that are joining the board. Just like when you're hiring people, I think hiring is so important. Sometimes right. you really fast, right? And then you get one bad person in whatever way it might be, culturally, skill set, talent, whatever it may be. And that can set you back or a group in your company back months to do right. that. Yeah. It so sure I have to spend time with people on the board. I want to make sure that. They're people that I value, that I respect, and they respect us and what we're doing. So, yes, I was able to have choice, and we want to maintain that. That's really smart. Uh, I think a, a lot of times when, when founders will bring on investment partners, they think that they don't have choice or they don't have as much say. Or some of them, the capital partners, just say, this is the way it is, and yeah. they don't have a choice. So choosing a right partner is super important in that. Yeah, I don't know if you're a sports fan, but um, you know, if you if you're football and you have to wait for another team to win before you know what you're going to do, you're not in control of your own destiny. You, you know, right. as a CEO, you can be in control of your own destiny. If you if you manage a healthy business, if you have your eye on the key KPIs and metrics, there's money out there. And there's what I call dumb money and smart money. Right. And the dumb money is, look, we have not run our business well. We are run out of cash. We've got to take whatever is out there. And then you end up with someone who maybe changes the dynamic of a board. You can control your own destiny by managing a healthy business, understanding what metrics and KPIs are important to a board, making sure those are locked in. They're not unusual. Churn, LTV to CAC, net, net retention, growth. I mean... I'm not reinventing these things, but if you can, right. if you can have healthy numbers there, you're going to get people that will come to you that will allow you to have choice. And that's really important to have that choice. It is that, uh, that you're not not desperate and have to take whatever offers on the table. Yeah, and you don't always, you know, like I was saying, circuitous, right? Sure, and you don't always have the ability for whatever reason to do that. So. To, to to the largest degree that we can, we want to maintain that choice and, and control of our own destiny. That'd be interesting to see what happens in the capital markets over 23 and 24. And uh, yeah. just, you know, do, do they tighten up? Do they loosen up? Do things go back the way they were, you know, pre-pandemic 2021, where, you know, everybody was a, a potential next unicorn? Yeah. It, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, yeah, we... I mean, in 2021, we were hearing multiples of 30 times, multiple, even 40, which just seems outrageous. We're in a fortunate position where we do not have to be raising money right now. And I'm really grateful for that. Um, but again, even in a tough economy, um, when you have a healthy business, smart money follows that. So there is investment right. that's happening. I think that... Um, I think valuations have depressed. They've come down, certainly, or maybe they've just leveled off. Maybe they're more reasonable now. But a company more that was getting twenty-five times multiple is maybe more in the eight to twelve times right. multiple. So it it just depends again on the on the type of business that you have. But yeah, it will be interesting. My sense is 
there's kind of a, a backlog of dollars that have been held back by firms. And so at some point that, that dam is going to break and their limited partners are going to say, okay, you have to deploy these funds because we need to have a return on ours. So my sense, I, I wish I could put a timeline on it. Maybe I could work for the Fed or something if I were able to like have a crystal ball. I don't know when that's going to happen, but my sense is that there's probably start to be some pressure as inflation comes down to, to put more dollars at work. I think you're right. One of the things that I think has been helpful just in, in SaaS overall is kind of a return to fundamentals. That mm-hmm. fundamentals and actually building a business that makes money is important. Yeah. 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 I hate the term unicorn. I really do. I think <laughs> it, I think it creates bad behavior in businesses or it can. Um, Agreed. It, I mean, it's a, it's an identifier and, and in some ways people consider it maybe a feather in their cap, but I love what you just said, the fundamentals. If you have a fundamentally sound business, you'll get to the unicorns status or that billion dollar valuation, or at least you'll have an opportunity to do that. Sure. Um, but to me, like unicorns, it feels like people are just every single at bat, they're trying to hit a home run. I love base hits. Sorry for all the sports yes. analogies. I can back off of those, but I like them. Consistent base hits, consistent, like, so you understand what you're getting. Predictability within the business is really important. And then you'll get the occasional home run, but you shouldn't bet the bank on home runs every quarter, right? Right, right. Well, what have been the biggest lessons you've learned? Two IPOs and now existing company, you know, significant growth over the the last few years. What what, what lessons? Wow. Well, certainly not all about me. That was ever a lesson I needed to learn. Um, it, 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 having a team that works around you is the most important thing in my mind. One of the most important things, a solid, committed, passionate team that you can lean on and, and uh, rely on is incredibly important. Having, a, I guess what I would call is a mission-based company. So you're working for more than just a paycheck. Everybody should be paid. Now, just to be clear, <laughs> I don't think people, everyone should be paid fairly. And I think everybody should be in, at least in a startup, should be a shareholder and have the opportunity for upside and not just the upper level executives. So we're very generous with, with equity. But having a mission-based company where you feel like as a business that you're attacking a, uh, or trying to solve a problem that's maybe bigger than you, that, that gives you a sense of purpose and belonging where you get these, I think millennials get a, get a bad rap. I love hiring millennials. I, I sure. think they're, they're, they're great. They have a little bit different value set or understanding where it's not, they want to make sure that they matter. They want to have yes. flexibility yes. and, and you use the word choice. They want to be able to feel trusted and part of something. But make no mistake, they want to make money too. I mean, they want to provide for their families and do those things. And so creating a mission-based company with a healthy culture is something that I've taken on as a, as a specific kind of mission for myself, goal. That we have mission, vision, values that people understand what they're working for. So that's, that's been a key learning. And up and to the right solves everything. That's another lesson that I've learned. It's a good one. You know, if if you're going up into the right, things just feel good to you, to to the business. It's easy to have a good culture when things are going well. My goal is to have a healthy culture when things aren't going well. And that's been challenging at at times because we're 100% remote. We're a virtual-based company. So you don't walk by somebody's desk Say, hey, Jeff, you want to go to lunch? You know, do you want to can we right. just talk about this? You end up in Slack and on Zoom calls and and you can be very efficient with it. But the casual conversations kind of get mixed, missed and some of the personal interactions that bond companies together because people work want to they what's the saying? You know, people don't quit companies, they quit managers. Right. You know, so yeah, that's true. some of that is is more challenging in a virtual world. But I think we've done a really good job with it. Another lesson that I've learned is being remote 
can expand your talent pool. So yes. I've always been an office person my entire career. First one in, last one out, set the example. It's been a real transition since you know 2020. But now a third of our company is outside of the geographic confines of where you would have to go to an office every day. And that increases your, your diversity, first of all, for all of the, the standard definitions of diversity. Absolutely, we've been able to increase that. But it, it also diversity of thought and experience and contribution. So hiring people outside of maybe a 20-mile radius of where an office could be, but really right. all over the country, that's been a real learning for me that that is a... That's an opportunity. I, I see that now as an opportunity and a, and a benefit rather than a challenge or something to be overcome. I think that's really, really good. And the, the type of diversity that is not talked about nearly enough. You yeah. know, a lot of it is about the way somebody looks, but there's so much more than that. The way they think, their background, their industry experience. That's right. The, you know, the geography is yeah. different. People think differently, West Coast, East Coast, North, South, Midwest. Yeah, it, it's all different, and having that that melting pot. I mean, think about it like, a, you know, a, a, maybe a salad. Okay. Not a sports analogy, all right. but you know, every everybody is the the same. They all have you know maintain their their characteristics and uniqueness, but all blended together to make yeah. something fantastic. Yeah, put the right seasoning on it, and it all tastes tastes great. So yeah, yes. like that for sure. So all together, but not the not the same, not identical. But working together. Yeah, when you do that, I've been in executive teams, you know, and we can certainly do better this as a company. I wouldn't say that we're we're leading, you know, industry leaders. It's been just kind of an epiphany for me that this is an opportunity for us. But when you have people sitting around in a decision that either are all the same gender or maybe all the same race or maybe all from the same city. Okay, that's not bad. It's not like you can't have a successful company doing that, but there you're going to have shared experiences. Therefore, you might have kind of the same ideas. And you know, when you're trying as a startup to be disrupting an industry, you want different ideas. Yes, you want to be able to think differently about the things that are going to not be afraid or held or shackled by maybe working or or whatever baggage you brought from a, another company into it. So spreading that out and having a, a much greater diversity of the people that are around you, I just think makes a better company. And without a doubt. And you get different industry experience as well. So something that is is you know old process in one industry is revolutionary to another. Sure. So you get that that mix of thought and just people thinking different ways or coming, you know, looking at problems differently. Yep. So you end up with much better solutions. Absolutely. So how have you managed the the remote team and keeping that culture intact, you know, being remote? I've tried a lot of different things. One thing that I've realized is it's not my responsibility entirely to do that. So I have to create an environment where people feel appreciated, cared for, and that they have upward mobility and that they're paid fairly where they care. They, they care about our mission and what they're doing. So to me, the culture, like the mission and vision values, I believe I need to set that. I need to say, this is where we're going. This is what we do. This is how we treat each other. Or what are our values? And this is how we're going to be successful. Those are some of my key, like, I have to nail that. When it comes to the output of that for culture, I think that the culture, it has it should be led by me and I should lead by example, but it needs to come bottom up. I can't be in every meeting. I can't be in every interaction. I can't be uh, responsible or in every interview when we're hiring people. So if I have full engagement and belief in the, um, from our teams that they're they're in a place where they want they want to protect it in a sense. Then there's a self regulation. Maybe that sounds harsh, but a, a self kind of 
uh, I almost said self policing. That also sounds hard. <laughs> they just point out, like, hey, you know, we don't we don't really do that here. There's there's no need. They to- hold each other accountable. They hold- Accountability is a better word yeah. than the there, there's that standard. They're they're like yeah, this is this is our standard. This is who we are, and and this is how we're gonna behave as a group. Yeah, we don't really yell at each other here. So just so you know, I mean, you yelled in that last meeting, and yeah, you don't need to do that here. You know, yeah, those types of things. So that's that's a learning where I can't be everywhere and do things. But I have to make sure that people feel like they're part of something that is, again, has a direction. They know where they're going. And there's rules of behavior and or expectations of behavior um, and caring and just leaning over the desk and saying, can I help you? And just treating people with dignity and respect where people want to be associated with businesses like that. They, you know, they right. want to come to it. They want to feel like they mean something. So that, that's been a, that's been a learning. And then there's thing, there's fun things I've done. Like I used to host a Monday afternoon trivial pursuits game with prizes, you know, with the whole company or we've done happy hours and, you know, and sometimes I just call people up and, you know, how are you? That takes more effort right? Than just running into someone in the office. You have to be very deliberate where I haven't talked, you know, I'd like to, you know, I have to think about reaching out and just making sure that people are okay. And I've tried to do that. That's really helpful. And it, it, it does. It takes a lot more intention mm-hmm. in doing that. It's not something that just happens organically or casually in the office, but there, there is that intention. But if we're not intentional about it, it's easy for it not to ever happen. You're absolutely right. Being remote has has fostered better behavior on certain things, greater discipline in, say, maybe weekly one-on-ones with your manager, or making sure that we have we have a monthly what we call an all hands meeting. It's only thirty minutes, um, but every single month I get in front of the company, other com- other departments present, or I just talk about things. We have open Q and A, so they just feel like. They they know that at least every month they're going to have some connection with with the executive team, but also with others because you're hiring people and some people have never met face to face. A lot of people they haven't even right. met. So we do a thing where we introduce each other. We say something like, "What's unique about you?" None of that is revolutionary, but it again is being intentional because as parts of the whole. You know, it takes a lot of different things. I don't think there's a silver bullet to say, how do you manage a remote workforce? It's multiple different things and just being a good listener. So I personally hate Slack, but it's a, it's a great tool, but people tend to lean on Slack a lot rather than just saying like, maybe have a disagreement in Slack where just let, let's just have a conversation. Right. Right. So, some of those things you just have to kind of learn through. Yeah, having those conversations is important. It makes a difference. Yeah. And uh, the more the more we know each other, the more we spend time with each other. It's easy to to you know throw a jab out there on Slack or via email, in the old days. Yeah. But uh, it, it's a lot di- more difficult to do that in person. It's a lot more difficult to do that over the phone or on Zoom. And you know when you're you're really get to know a person. Yeah, you know, I think we're we're a lot less likely to maybe you know judge them or or assume assume things about them or maybe assume, you know, some sort of tone in what they're doing because we have that relationship. And the more we build that, I think the better it gets. You know what? I love what you just said that, that, that leans on the kind of the vulnerability side of things that you hear from like a Brene Brown or maybe a Patrick Lencioni or, or things like that, where if you do get to know someone that I'm a person, I'm not an adversary, I'm a person. And so maybe assume positive intent when I'm speaking to you, understand that I've had my own journey and I'm, you know, I've had my challenges and that some of that might be showing up at work, but we're all humans making an effort to get to know people beyond the work environment can greatly impact productivity. And I, and I think that that's been proven, you know, as an executive team, again, to borrow from, you know, I like to read, I, I'm not coming up with concepts that maybe other people haven't heard, but I think a baseline level of health 
of an executive team or even a business is trust. Yes. And you get trust by being vulnerable in some element or another. Like, I don't know everything or, Hey, I've had this thing happen to me. That's why I reacted saying you're sorry, apologizing. You know, they're just basic human kind of just treat people how you'd like to be treated that gets just kind of sterilized with the digital world. Yes. And so if you can bring that human interaction, I think it increases productivity. I like that. Yeah. Just humanizing the the relationship Mm -hmm. instead of digitizing. Yeah. You've got to be able to balance, in my opinion, that humanizing of this is the, these, these are people and we want them to feel valued and good. And at the same time, we have to be able to hold each other accountable because we are a for-profit business that is in a hyper growth mode. We are disrupting an industry. So it's not all just skipping through a field of flowers. You know, it's, it's a combination of the two. And, and if you can make those work, then you win. I mean, I, I think that's yes. a good success for winning and you're, and you're winning in a healthy way rather than stepping on other people's shoulders to get ahead. I would rather right. reward someone or promote someone that makes the people around them better than say someone who has accomplished significantly more tasks or initiatives or things. You shouldn't be rewarded for maybe high performing on metrics, but being kind of a jerk in the way that you talk to people, you know, like there's, right. That, uh, it, it, that's not a trade-off that I'm, that I'm willing to make. Can I both? Yes, yes. One of the things you mentioned a few times is mission, vision, uh, purpose, core values. And we haven't yet talked about every. And no. what is your mission? Our mission is to pay people the wages they've earned as soon as they've earned them. High Brilliant level. concept. High level. We started as a payroll platform focused on hourly workers that are susceptible or maybe vulnerable to pay discrepancies and other things. So as far as the basis of the company, 68% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. So if you're an employer, almost seven out of 10 of your workers are in one way or another, distracted, stressed, concerns, essentially leading to not being productive because they're thinking about money. They're not making it to the, to the next, next payday. Well, so what does that do? We've got 12 million Americans that are using payday loans. Something wow. to the effect of $360, $350 billion of outstanding payday loans. Well, in Utah, it's legal to charge 1,000% interest on those loans. And I think it's similar in every single state. I think the average is. is like 500% interest or something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's outrageous. They just call it fees. It's outrageous. It's criminal. Yeah. And, yeah. and then you have you know bank overdraft fees or credit cards. So these are all tools or industries that have been brought up because people can't make it from a paycheck to the next paycheck. So why is that? Well, some of it is financial planning and budgeting and things and other and other things. People should be paid probably, you know, more money. I would never take that away from anyone. But a lot of it is just the mismatching timing of when their bills are due and when they're paid. Right. And they're just not able to do it. So we built a platform that pays people every single day for the wages that they've earned. So we don't loan people money. We have a um, native time clock and scheduling apps. We know when people are paid and if they want to cash out, we can pay them on the same day. What has happened through the pandemic is there's this whole movement towards the gig economy, right? Delivery, creator economy, temporary staffing. And so what we've been focusing on is embedding our already rather robust payroll technology into other platforms and paying their workers. So for example, if there is a an app you're going to, we'll just call it Uber. Uber's not a customer, but everybody understands their gig. So Uber right. have their workers, they're driving and they're delivering people. We're able to embed with 
a company like Uber and pay their workers within 30 minutes of them completing a job, making a delivery, bringing somebody food, whatever that may be. We have a wallet where they can save the money in the app or we can pay them immediately. Coming into next year, we'll be rolling out a card program, which is a debit card, not a credit card, which allows us to pay people immediately. In fact, now we can pay people on weekends and holidays. So if we're working wow. with contracted workers, say lawn care or snow removal or just a, a delivery app like food or, or Uber with, with people, say you have to work on Christmas Eve, that's kind of a bummer if you have to do that, but you have to provide for your family. All you have, we can pay you on Christmas Eve. We can pay you on Christmas Day. So paying workers what they've earned as they've earned it and making it as easy as possible and as affordable as possible for the businesses that employ those 1099s and W-2 workers. And that makes so much sense and really puts the the employer, the contractor in control of that. So they want to get paid every Friday and that's that's what they're used to. Then they can go and they can cash they can out that. every Friday. So actually, yeah, it is choice. We You don't have to be paid every day. You can be paid daily, weekly, biweekly. You can, it actually, we allow you to choose for the wages that are earned. So if you've earned the wages and we've clocked it in there and it's been approved by the administrator, you can push a button and, and we'll have that money to you with at the latest the same day, but as much as within 30 minutes. That's been fun. Yeah, it makes a big it's, difference. it's like we're riding this wave of the pandemic started this thing. Workers pers- a lot, a lot, changed a lot of different things, but um, certainly the gig economy really kind of exploded out of that. Services delivered to your home or just they're even willing to pay more for it for the convenience. I mean, you could drive three miles to get your dinner or some people just door dash it. You know, right. I mean, it just and that became pretty normal with COVID because restaurants were shutting down and other things were happening. But workers want to have choice, right? And 83% of workers that we have recently surveyed with, with thousands of workers indicated that their payment timing or choice of payment would heavily influence where they worked. So, and in a time where it's difficult to attract employees, that's something to really think about. Yeah, there's is, a you know, it's just another way. Yeah, a, a recruiting and retention story there. What we've determined is having companies that are using our our platform are experiencing a thirty percent increase in retention. A lot wow. easier to retain your people than it is to go find new people and train them up and you know and keep them going. So. I think that we're skating to where the puck is going. Another sports analogy. You can either thank me later or hate me later on the sports. (laughs) But we're skating to where the puck is going, not where it is right now exactly, but it's definitely going there. And I think worker expectation for fast or immediate pay will be the norm. It'll be the expectation. It'll be, well, do you pay daily? Okay, well, I'm not going to work there if you're not going to give me access to my funds. Because throughout history, or at least called the last 50 years of history, workers have been giving interest-free labor loans to businesses for two weeks. Like they're working for free, and those companies are doing what they want with those with those dollars, and then they get paid. So we we just we don't hold on to the money. We we push it we push it right out. And it's fun to see the, the stories that come of it and how we've helped people. So I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Oh, that's really good. How did you come up with the idea? What was the inspiration behind it? Well, I wish I was, could say that it was my idea. Um, I have smart friends. After I left Pluralsight and we went public, I took some time off and uh, just kind of reset some things, call it a sabbatical. And a good friend of mine, Ron Ross, who's the president and COO of Every, came to me. We went to lunch and started drawing on a napkin, just kind of this concept. And for Ron, his daughter had just recently gone to college. And uh, 
she was coming to him for some short-term loans as college students do with their parents. You and I are sure. probably in that boat right now. hundred <laughs> um, percent. Yeah. So he's like, wait a minute, you, you're, I'm looking at your budget. You're making enough money. Why are you coming to me for these, these old, why are we having this conversation? And it became this mismatching timing of when her bills were due and when she was being paid. So he, he's an operationally minded person. He sat on it for a year, just, how could this work? Figured out a banking partner. Could we actually do this? And we kept talking. And then he asked me, I was still working when we first started talking and he asked me to join his board and help him get this off the ground. So we have a couple people in our business that I would consider co-founders. There's, you know, not a single person, but the idea from Ron and the impetus of his situation with his daughter really kind of was the kickstart. But then as he started talking to me, it got really personal for me because there's been times in my life earlier in my marriage where I had vivid recollection. So college graduate for whatever that's worth, duly, you know, gainly employed, not spending beyond my means and having conversations with my wife of like, well, should we put this on a credit card? Should we like back then you could write checks like let's can we float a check for a couple of days right. until something comes in? And so it became really personal for me. Like that makes perfect sense. Why shouldn't people have the money that they've, they've earned as quickly as they could earn it? So Ron was the beginning of it, brought some great people around us. I joined a CEO in February of 2020. So about six weeks before the world just hit a global pandemic. Perfect timing. Perfect timing. I thought it out and <laughs> it to the T. It's exactly what I wanted to, what time I wanted to join. Um, right. And uh, so, yeah, we're three years, four years into it now and growing well. And um, we've been able to pivot our business and it's, and it's been an exciting thing. I like to build things. I like to build things that help people. I get bored easily. So I don't want to be doing like, the same things. I was a I was a VP of marketing at Hewlett Packard for a period of time, and my employee number was one hundred and ninety eight thousand. Wow! So just kind of, I was a vice president. Puts it in perspective, too, right? So there's probably ten thousand people like me that were at a VP level, and it just felt lost. I, I felt lost in the shuffle. So when Ron came to me. And I had kind of stepped away from working for a bit. He was like, man, you have, you have too much left in the tank. You're dopey down. <laughs> That's a good thing. Come, come do this with me, you know? And so we jumped in it together. And again, we've got a great team around us and it's a fun challenge. The fun challenge to um, try to solve this problem. Well, where can listeners find out more about you and about every online? So, Every is spelled E-V-E-R-E-E. -E -E. So there's a lot of play on words there, but everybody, every day spelled a little bit different. But the E-V is every, like every day. The E-R is an accounting term for um, employer. And the E-E -E is an accounting term for employee. So it's the exchange of value between employers and employees is where our company name came from. But every.com, certainly, we have a lot of information there. Again, my name is Brett Barlow. I'm on LinkedIn, and I'd love to connect with anybody that would like to talk or um, continue the conversation. Yeah, that's what it is. I'd give myself a number out, but I think I'll hold up. <laughs> right now. I really do like the, the word play and, uh, and just kind of the, I don't know, embedded Easter eggs in the name. Yeah. Because uh, when you explain that, it's like it's it's right there, just the ER and EE. Because I see that on payroll reports all the time, right? You know, employer yeah. parts and employee parts, and yeah, I like that the exchange of value. Yeah, I have to give that one to Ron. He came up with that. I thought it was pretty clever. So coming from a marketing background, I said, okay, that one stays. That's good. I like it. Yeah. That's great. Well, I've really enjoyed our conversation today and we'll make sure and link all of that in the show notes. And of course, a link to the site as well. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. And Jeff, thank you so much for 
um, inviting me to be on on this conversation with you on SaaS Fuel and uh, think the world of what you're doing. And again, thank you very much. I really, really appreciate the time and listening to me talk. <laughs> thank you. And I, I like the sports analogies as well. Lifetime Cowboys Didn't overdo fan. it. <laughs> oh, no. Oh. <laughs> okay. I try to keep them to moderate. I, I need to think of some different analogies, but as long as I didn't overdo it, um, <laughs> had a great time with you. Thanks, Jeff. That's great. Thank you. Thanks again to Brett for coming on the show and sharing your insights and business building journey. Learn more about Brett and Avery at Avery.com. It's E-V-E-R-E-E.com. As always, all links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sasfuel.com. So subscribe and follow us while you're there. And everyone who subscribes this week gets a pair of extra springy shoes to help you with leaping over the tall buildings in a single bound, or maybe just leap over the obstacles in your business. On our Sassville Expert Series on Thursday, we have Mickey Kennedy, the founder of eReleases, which is a press release distribution service that helps small businesses and startups increase their visibility and credibility. With 24 years of experience in the industry, he is a true expert in press release marketing. And I can't wait to let you hear from him and all his advice and insights on how to make those work. Why do press releases work and what doesn't work? And our founder who is kicking off the month of April is Luke Homan, co-author of Software Profit Streams, our sponsor today, with a great discussion on pricing, including the Profit Stream Canvas. It will absolutely knock your socks off. And, you know, you're going to need those socks because you just got some of those extra springy shoes if you subscribe today. So anyway, live from Tokyo. (laughs) I will see you next time. As always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SAS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sassfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.